0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: Praise God. Amen. How could you not be moved singing something like that? No one else like you, Lord. Amen. I want us to pray over the word of the Lord and just ask God to touch us tonight. I really feel the Spirit of God has ordered this evening and we're going to be concluding a series that was actually began last month and uh, we got hindered in our service schedule there and so we're going to pray and ask the Lord to touch us. I want to ask you to join me in the book of Galatians chapter 6 and that's where we're going to camp out for a little while but I just believe God will speak something to us if we'll hear it. Amen. So let's pray over his word. Can you do that, Lord? We love you today. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us. What a beautiful spirit. Oh, God, you have just met us so, so richly. We thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost that we feel in this house. The power of comfort, the power of peace. And I believe, oh God, that you will just strengthen all of us this evening. And let the Holy Ghost speak to us in Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. The book of Galatians is such a powerful book. In it, so many wonderful truths, practical truths, that not only speak to us about salvation, but about how to maintain what God has given us. I don't want to just start this race. I want to finish this race. (laughs) Amen. I want to finish this race. I don't want to finish it with uh, bitterness and delusion, but I want to to finish this with joy, for the joy that was set before him. Amen. I want to run this race with joy. The book of Galatians, if you have your Bibles, join me there tonight. The book of Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to be reading verses 1 and 2. We'll read a couple of more passages of Scripture uh, as we move along here. But oh, what a powerful, powerful command is given to the church in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. I have often said, and will say it at least now, perhaps more than once, but this is the only place in the Scripture where the Lord summons spiritual people. Amen. He calls out the elect. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens. And then he said, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so here is a reality that is before us this evening from the pen and parchment of the Apostle Paul that lets us know unequivocally that there will be people that are overtaken in a fault. Amen. There will be those that stumble. He's not talking about sinners. There will be those that stumble when they are overtaken in a fault. Now we need the elite forces to come in. We need the special troops to come in. Ye which are spiritual. Come and restore such a one. And then he says, here's how you do it. You restore them in the spirit of meekness, considering thine own self. When you're bathing their wounds, understand one thing, this could be your wounds. Amen. When you're cleaning them up, understand one thing, this could be you, this could be you, lest thou also be tempted. One another, one another, bearing one another's burdens I believe that one another, perhaps, is such a key phrase in the life of a Christian. Love one another. It should be a part of our vocabulary, that one another, that inclusiveness. It's found at least a dozen times in the New Testament. Just love one another. However, there are multiple admonitions concerning that phrase, one another. James says in chapter 5 and verse 16 that we should pray for one another. Paul said in Thessalonians that we should edify one another. He said to, to the church at Rome, he said we should prefer one another. And Simon Peter said that we ought to use hospitality to one another. And then in our text tonight, Paul said we should bear one another's burdens. We should... Bear them, strengthen them. And so I believe that a person that is truly spirit led is thinking about others, how we could minister to them, how we could help them, how we could lift the load, how we could make the the way just a little bit easier. Have you ever been around people that just complicate things? Just anything. Just you name it. (laughs) And they just have this. Ability to just confuse the most fundamental things. They just add a load. It's just like all of a sudden just a blockade. And then there are others that possess the complete opposite of that. They are just such a load lifter. They just come along and no matter what it is, they can contribute something to that equation. And so I believe that somebody that is led by the Spirit is somebody that's thinking about other people. How can we help them? How can we bless them? I don't want my actions to have a negative ramification on somebody else. And so in this section, Paul describes the important ministry of the church of bearing one another's burdens. And so I want to talk about tonight the difference between those, kind of draw a line between those that are spirit-led and people that have a more legalistic point of view. Legalists, we perhaps could call that. A legalist is not interested whatsoever in bearing somebody else's burdens. As a matter of fact, they are that person I was speaking about just a moment ago. They kind of contribute to the burdens of someone. Acts 15 and 10 says, A yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear. You're trying to add something to the equation that our fathers nor we are able to bear. And so, why are you complicating things? Why are you keep adding more and more and more? And this was the the sins of the Pharisees in the day of Jesus. Matthew gives us some interesting insight. He describes this in Matthew 23 and 4. He says, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. You ever met people like that? They expect the utmost of you. And they just add and add and add and add. But the Bible says, but they wouldn't, they themselves touch this with not one of their fingers. You see, you don't really need a big, thick commentary for this passage of Scripture. Pretty self explanatory. But they themselves wouldn't lift their finger. They, they're not wanting to do nearly what they expect you to do the legalist is always harder on other people than they are on themselves or of their own they think everybody else ought to be hitting way way here but that's not what they require themselves they want swift justice for others and they want everybody else to pay a high price but they want long long runways of mercy when it comes to them and theirs well now we should probably handle that with a, with a sledgehammer but this over here maybe a powder puff would do that's the difference between a legalist and somebody that's spirit-led. On the other side of that, legalist is a person that demands more of themselves than they do of others. And they're holding themselves to a higher standard. They're, they're not trying to, to weigh down or complicate or confuse matters, but, but they are, they're saying of themselves, I'm going to hold myself. I, I will not as though they're the standard setter, but they're holding themselves to a higher standard. Paul presents the scenario of a believer that in this passage of scripture of Galatians 6 and 1 he says those that are overtaken in a fault. Paul portrays a scenario for the the reader or the listener of of someone who is tripped up and when we, we read the word overtaken that's what Paul is referring to. Somebody that is tripped up or somebody that falls into sin. So Paul is not talking about somebody that just consistently flirts with and These are lifestyle choices, and now they find themselves, their lives completely imploded upside down because of lifestyle choices they've continued to go back to again and again and again. But Paul is saying very specifically that we have the ability to be overtaken in a fault. We have the ability to be suddenly tripped up, or we have the ability to fall into sin. That carries the idea of being surprised. Amen. I don't want to get too personal here tonight, but I believe that that we could all say to some degree we've been right here. We've been surprised. We've been taken by something, and I think it's important to note because this is not an end result of deliberate disobedience, but we just found ourselves. We made a wrong decision. We turned the wrong way, and and now we found ourselves in a very poor situation. And so Paul uses illustr- this illustration because. It reveals the evil, and I just want to call it that: the evil, the evil of legalism, the evil approach of that, and so, and and how they seem to treat people that have sinned or treat people that have erred. And so, this was a huge issue in the New Testament church. We talked about this a little bit last Wednesday night. So, when we think about John chapter eight, where the Pharisees they drag this lady taken into adultery. They They dragged her into the presence of Jesus. They were demanding themselves. Right now, Justice, according to the law, she needs to be stoned. And so they wanted her not to be rebuked. They didn't want her to be embarrassed. They didn't want her to be shamed. They wanted her to be killed, held to the highest standard. And so you know the story. Jesus said, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And before it's all said and done, not one person is left standing there, just a pile of rocks where the would-be jury formerly sat. The judge and the jury that was there to execute swift justice, we want her to be gone. Or we can think about Acts 21 where the angry Jewish mob almost killed the apostle Paul because they thought he had defiled the temple by bringing Gentiles into the temple. And so they just said, we're going to kill him, and we're going to kill her, and this swift justice. And and uh, you see, people that have a legalistic mindset, they, they don't want to get confused with facts. They don't want you to throw a lot of details at them. They just want what they heard, that's good enough, and we'll just make a snap decision and their wicked imaginations will just take care of the rest we can pencil in, we can finish the sentence because all they need is just a little bit and so in this passage Paul is contrasting these two responses to failure the legalistic person and the spiritual person the spiritual man is always going to seek some way to restore some way to love, some way to bind, some way to help Yet, on the other side of that, someone with a legalistic mindset is going to do everything they can to exploit. We live uh, in a day where we can really relate to this. Of course, social media has just put the world at our fingertips. And so sometimes people post things and uh, there's no truth to it at all. It's not true just because we read it online. And so we just kind of dive in the deep end, and we send this all around the world because we've made a, a hasty decision and a judgment, perhaps on partial truth. And you can just you can find somebody to agree what whatever you think, if you search long enough. The word "restore," however, means to mend. It speaks specifically like. To mend a net, to repair, to put back in order, or to make whole, to restore. Even one definition use this illustration: to restore a broken bone. To restore a broken bone, and somebody that has sinned in the church, a believer in the church, should be treated like a broken bone in the body. We don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We need to restore the broke. What's broken? We need to fix what is broken. And, and, and it can be restored. It can be helped. Someone that's led by the Spirit is going to try to reach out to somebody that has erred. Amen. They do that because they're compelled by two things. There, there's the driving force, of course, of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 and 22 said the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then Galatians 5 and 13 says that love seeks to serve one another. And so when a member of the or a portion of the body is broken then we want to do whatever we can to restore that broken peace. Amen. There's a second driving force and we'll talk about that in just a moment. That'll be in the second hour. (laughs) But in Mark chapter 2 and verses 13 through 17, Jesus, he ate with the sinners and the publicans and he was severely, and I don't use that word lightly, he was severely criticized by the Pharisees But Jesus just simply reminded them, he said, the whole have not a need of a, they don't need a physician. It's the sick that need a physician. And so why wouldn't I be eating with the publicans and sinners? Why wouldn't I be extending a hand of mercy instead of trying to restore them that had erred? The legalist says we need to condemn them. We need to try them. We need to hang them from the highest limb. In some way, I believe that people that are always finding fault and people that are always so quick to judge a situation, somehow I believe that they believe or think that somebody else's failure makes them look better. You know, I've read on more than one occasion where Hitler was, uh, of course, a tyrant, but he was not a very tall man in stature. And so history records that he would never allow anybody to work around him in close proximity to him that was taller than he was because he wanted to give the illusion on camera and in the press and to others that he was the tallest man in the crowd. But just because you have shorter people around you doesn't make you tall. And so just because you surround yourself with failing people doesn't make you a success. But somehow on that legalistic mindset, they think if we can just find somebody that's down, that will make me look bigger and make me look better. And that's what a warped, what a warped way to look at that. And first Peter four and eight says of charity or love. It says love covers a multitude of sin. Now I've been very careful with this through the years. That doesn't mean that love hides or conceals, that love lies or deceives but it just means that love provides a way back. That's what love does. Love leaves some room for restoration. Love love leads a path back home. That's what love, love doesn't say, oh, don't worry about it, you didn't really rob that bank. Love doesn't say, you didn't really lie, you didn't really cheat, you didn't really steal. Love just says, in spite of that, we're gonna figure out some way There is an irrevocable, of course, law of the harvest. But love that covers, that charity that covers a multitude of sin says we're going to leave you away back home. We're going to leave the light. Love creates a margin to give people a chance to realign themselves. And I can assure you that you and I and everybody you will ever meet walking on the planet of this planet called earth needs a margin of error in their lives. Even those that don't think they do need a margin of error. Often the failure of others can create a, a false sense of spirituality or for judgmental people. Well, we are here and they are there. My, my, my. Some said I could have told you this six months ago. There's no greater example of this than Luke 18. What an awkward situation Luke 18 presents. Two men went to the temple to pray, it says Jesus, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like that man. (laughs) That's what the scripture said. You imagine you, our custom is often we find ourselves kneeling here at the altar beside one another. Can you just imagine? I mean, when you're kneeling here, let's just be honest. Unless you're just caught up in the spirit of prayer at times, you can hear the other person praying. Can you imagine if you were knelt, knelt down at the altar praying and you heard somebody saying, I just thank the Lord, I just thank you, Lord, that I'm not like Jerry Fears. <laughs> I think that would get into your prayer. I think it would just hinder your prayer just a little bit. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that man over there. And and what an awkward thing. They're in the temple praying, kneeling beside someone that says, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that person. I'm not that. And then he lists his accomplishments. He said, I thank you, Lord, for how often I tithe. And I thank you for how often I fast. I thank you, Lord, for me being me. And then you contrast that. The tax collector The man who's being talked about, his prayer went something like this. He said, Lord, I want you to thank you for being merciful to me. I'm just a sinner, but I want to thank you for your grace, Lord. I want to thank you for your unmerited favor. I didn't deserve this, Lord, but you moved in my life. What a contrasting prayer. One says, I'm so glad I'm not like him, but the other one says, Oh, Lord, I'm so glad for what you've made me. It's your grace and your mercy that has brought me where I am. And then Jesus gave this startling reminder in this same story. He says, those that exalt themselves will be humbled and those that humble themselves will be exalted. And I want to tell you, when Jesus says something, you can take that check to the bank. It will be cashable. And so if you will exalt yourself, you will be humbled. But if you'll just humble yourselves, he said, I, I will exalt you. And that's why Paul admonishes us in Galatians 5 and 26. He said, let us not be desirous of vain glory, He said this, provoking one another and envying one another. The word provoke that Paul uses right here means to challenge to a contest or compete with. And so Paul said that let us not be desirous of vainglory and let's not compete with one another. Let's not uh, uh, attempt to be as good as you are. I mentioned this, I think, again last Wednesday night. I'm not trying to be as spiritual as you or as prayerful as you, as mindful as you. I'm trying to be as good as what this Bible says that I should be. Amen. the legalist says I want to live by comparison I want to make myself look good by making others look bad you work with people like that maybe not currently but you have worked with people like that they will step on anybody they will cash in on any moment to make somebody else look bad so that they think somehow this is going to make me look better On the opposite side of this coin, that spirit-led person that approaches the matter in the spirit of meekness and love. On one side, we have this person, an attitude of pride, an attitude of condemnation. The legalist doesn't consider themselves because they just think within themselves, why, I would never do anything such as that. I could never do anything such as that. But somebody that's living by grace realizes that no one, but no one is immune from failure and that that leads me to this second driving force that I mentioned and that is found in the latter portion of Galatians 6 and 1 where the scripture says considering thyself lest thou also be tempted and so you've heard it said many times by me and many others that but for grace there go I if it hadn't have been for the grace of God no matter what the situation is that could be me that could be you. David said of, of Saul in 2 Samuel 1, he said of Saul, how the mighty are fallen. He didn't say how the weak are fallen. He didn't say how those that had it coming are fallen, how those that never had it, a chance to begin with had it coming and were gonna fall. No, he said how the mighty are fallen. I know we look at Saul in his end condition and we can think, that, the, that this was certainly uh, something that we are not surprised at but if you look at Saul's calling if you look at that anointing that initial moment of how God called him then we could understand how the mighty how the mighty are fallen and so that should serve as a reminder that it's not just the weak that stumble it's just not the vulnerable that stumble but all of us are vulnerable anyone is subject to falling According to John 13 and according to John chapter 15, the law of Christ is to love one another. So Galatians, going back to this, Galatians 5, Paul has already discussed the law of love. He's discussed the law of love, and so in Galatians 6, he's now teaching us how to apply this. He talked about the law, now he's applying the law. And so we really appreciate it when you um, perhaps are Needing, in need of a, a physician, aren't you glad to have a physician that has understanding, right, yeah. kindness? Right. 1982, I was involved in an automobile accident. And my right leg from below my knee was horribly broken and, uh, and required several surgeries. And, and we went to the doctor for one of those checkups and the doctor discovered that my leg indeed was growing back crooked. And so he showed us on the x-ray. And so I was laying on a gurney in the hallway. And he had the nurse come by. And uh, he gave me a, a shot of something. And so in a little while he had come by and he said, how are you feeling? So I'm feeling all right. You know, I'll be back in a little bit. In a little while, he came back and said, "How are you feeling?" I said, "I'm all right." He said, "I'll be back in a little bit." While he was gone that time, whatever he had given me hit me full force. I couldn't hardly blink my eyes. I felt like I weighed a thousand pounds. And he came back and he said, "How are you feeling?" I started telling him how I was feeling. And so my wife is a witness to this. I'm not exaggerating this—not one percent. That we were—I was laying on that gurney in the hallway, and he picked up my leg. He was standing on, on my right-hand side. He picked up my leg. He held my leg up to his stomach, and he was just rubbing my leg, and he had it on one side, one hand in his left hand, on the other side in this hand. And before I even knew what happened, he rebroke my leg in the hallway. And even under enough medication that I couldn't even blink, I almost passed out from the pain. And you know how much pain tolerance I have. Just just saying. just Just throwing that out there. I dare think what would happen to the average man. I could not believe my wife come absolutely unhinged. And she let him know you will never have an opportunity to do this again. Fool me once. I was thinking all that. I just couldn't say anything. <laughs> and I'm, I've thought about that so often. Now, maybe there was no other way to do it. I, there had to be some other way to do it. But I was just thinking that was cert, kind of a barbaric approach. If it needed to be rebroken, I, you know, what do you call those things that... Uh, Somebody help me. What does a, a, a lady have when she's having a baby? Epidural, yes. I could have had one of those right here. <laughs> Surely. <laughs> and so when someone, I, I meandered on the stories there. Sorry about that. But when someone has, is, a, is broken in the body, that's not how they need to be treated. I don't know what kind of day he had had. I don't know if he was just trying to get home, didn't want to be late for supper. But we need to understand the value of a tender touch, the value of putting yourself in that person's condition. I mean, it could have been him on the gurney, right? I mean, it could have been him in the accident. It could have been his. You don't have to chase this very far to realize that it could have been handled different. And so we need to understand the value of tender love and care that we want and need and even deserve, and we want to extend that to somebody else, I want to tell you that it really takes a lot of love and it takes a lot of courage to to approach somebody that has erred. A tenderness in our heart. It's important to win the loss. I agree with that, but it's also important to win those that are saved, to win those that have erred, to win those that have made wrong decisions. Amen. A legalist, of course, they don't have time for that because they got to plow on and, and get other things done. But I'm going to tell you when we hear that someone has failed or sinned, instead of going and sharing that news with somebody else, amen, we need to say, God, help me to have the word. Help me to have the compassion. Help me to understand this could be me. I need to bear one another's burdens. Amen. I I, I don't want to try to compare myself to somebody else. Amen. I just want to say, Lord, I want to know one thing. I want you to know that One thing, I get it, that this could have been me. I could have made that same decision. And so I say, Lord, help me to to understand the value of love and compassion and nurturing someone. Amen. You see, sometimes God may reveal something to us about someone else. I want you to stay with me here. God may reveal something to you about somebody else and there may be times that that's a very spiritual thing the lord may give you a vision he may give you a dream about someone else and he may reveal that to you but but there are other times god has given me visions and god has given me dreams and he's used those measures to reveal to me things about somebody else that maybe that they're going through but there have been other times that it wasn't quite so mystical or so spiritual. It was that just God allowed me to be somewhere. I can remember many years ago, someone inviting me to go somewhere. I don't want to get into it all, but someone invited me to go somewhere that ordinarily I would have never gone. It's just not my cup of tea. And I just said, well, I'll go. I don't, you don't really know. And, and I realized later that God had me there because he wanted to show me something. He, and it's very, 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 it was a very spiritual thing. It didn't start out spiritual. It didn't seem spiritual. It, there was nothing about it that had any, that had any, I didn't feel any goosebumps. I didn't feel anything. I was just with somebody else going uh, to another common place. I've experienced that. Many times, but I said that to say this, that the Lord doesn't reveal things to us, whether it's by a vision or a dream or just by putting us somewhere to see something. I'm not talking about being a policeman to catch somebody, but it may, it may be that we see something, somebody's doing something wrong, but God didn't, God didn't put us there so that we would have the, the privilege to be able to be the first one to post this on social media. He didn't place us in that position so we would have the privilege to be the first one to have the opportunity to make a phone call and pass that around. It may be that God revealed that or put us in that position because he entrusted that situation to us so that we could intercede for them in prayer. That's what Abraham did for Lot. He didn't pick up his phone, so to speak. He didn't call somebody. He didn't get on whatever means of communication that was available to them. But he said, I'm gonna take this matter to the Lord. I'm gonna pray for him. And so we're not trusted with privileged information so that we can use that to spread because I will tell you that many lives, countless lives have been destroyed by loose lips. Countless lives. Have been wounded, wounded sometimes almost irreparably wounded And so often people take information they've heard and just pass it on, again, sometimes without prayer, without even vetting the truth. And so when somebody shares private information with us, we ought to understand one thing. We ought to treat that with respect. I need to protect that with everything that I possibly can. I've said countless times through the years to people that have shared and bore their heart to me, thank you for trusting me with that. And I'll do with everything within my power to never violate that trust. We can't forget the grace that we receive. That's why Paul said, considering thine own self. Ephesians 4 talks about the maturity of the body of Christ and, and, and how a mature Christian adheres to the words of the Lord found in Matthew 7. This is where he told us not to judge others, but being mature and reserving judgment allows us the opportunity to demonstrate the grace that God has shown to us. God has been, let me ask you this, has God ever been merciful to anybody in this house? then why wouldn't we want to extend that same mercy to everybody else? if we say things like we may be the only Bible that people read, if we say things like we may be the only Jesus that people meet on the job, then why would, if God has been this kind to us, why? Wouldn't I just want to let grace flow through me? I don't want to pick up your mistakes and beat you to death with it. I want to pick up the word of God, healing balm of Gilead. I want to apply it in the wound. I want to do something. I want to be that good Samaritan to bind up the wound and and do everything that I can to help. Yes. You know, a first responder doesn't need, to feel the, doesn't need to feel compelled to judge the situation. They just need to do what they're called. First responders. Just respond. A lifeguard doesn't need to swim out to a drowning victim and ask them why they swam past the safety cone. A paramedic doesn't need to drive up to broken glass and mangled metal and ask why did you run the traffic light? That's not important right now. That's that's irrelevant right now. Amen, a first responder, you just need to respond. It doesn't matter who ran what. It doesn't matter who went too far. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter right now. We've got a life in jeopardy. Amen, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. Amen, brethren, when somebody's overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, don't drive up. And judge. Don't drive up and question. Don't drive up and ask why. We need spiritual first responders to just respond. Just respond. Oh, hallelujah. I said it a moment ago love love covers charity, covers that multitude of sin. Jesus commanded us to love one another as he loves us. Now, I, I think it's important to understand that affirming people is not the same thing as condoning their actions. It's not the, to, to go to someone or restore someone is not, is not saying, well, I agree with what you did. But, but you are where you are. we got to get out of this mess. And so individuals who have fallen, are, they're probably already condemning themselves. They're probably already trying to they're probably already the enemy is just using their failure to bludgeon them to death. They need a voice of reason. Amen. I'm going to tell you something. That any time you reach down to pick up something you run the risk of getting your hands dirty. Anytime. Anytime you reach down to carry something you run the risk of getting something on you another important part of helping others is, is following up just just offer somebody a helping hand but see how they're doing check on them, being present in a moment is, is a wonderful thing but you see a good deed is only as good as a good follow up to see how are you doing clinical chaplains are trained in the ministry of presence it's a true phrase the ministry of presence being present doesn't mean talking It's the ministry of presence. Most hurting people are not interested in our opinion, nor are they asking us to solve their problems. I think effective listening is a skill that everybody ought to pray that God would help them to have. Effective, effective listening. You see, and if you don't hear anything else, please hear the next three or four lines. If you're in a critical situation, if you are with someone in a critical situation, and if words don't readily come to you, that may be God's way of telling you to be quiet. I understand human nature. I am one. It takes discipline as a human being because as a human, we feel compelled to say things. I've stood, I've stood recently As a matter of fact, yesterday and today, I've had phone calls yesterday and today, critical situations that were brought to my attention. I felt compelled to say something. But I had to listen to the voice of God. And the and the Spirit of the Lord was really trying to just get me to listen. They just really needed somebody. To listen, They didn't need a weigh in. I was trying to think of something to say. Nothing was coming. And I realized, God, nothing's coming because the Lord doesn't want me to say anything. He just wants me to listen. Amen. God's spirit, I believe, can speak to us. I believe he has given us words of wisdom in moments of crisis. But I think it's also important for us to understand that at times, some words are not necessary. We just need the ministry of presence. And so we must be the word to the people that we're ministering to not try to say the word just be the word I believe that God's spirit through us can speak and minister can sow. Amen. So, so and, and it can all happen in, the, in a moment of silence just being there because many times actions speak louder than words remember again if you will with me the words of Ecclesiastes 3 and 1 <clears throat> to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven and he said, there is a time to keep silent and there is a time to speak. Amen. I, I understand the magnitude of what I'm saying. Because often you feel compelled to just have the right word. I have stood, I'm going to ask our musicians to come. I have stood with families in crisis. And you just feel this overwhelming pressure. You're the pastor. You're the preacher. You feel an overwhelming pressure to say something. I mean, somewhere in these 66 books, there has got to be a scripture to fix this. There must be a divine word that's just going to come blowing in the room. Not always not always sometimes it's just being there just being there I'm I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of Genesis chapter 9 and I want to read a few passages of scripture the Bible says and Noah began to be a husbandman and he planted a vineyard and he drank of the wine and was drunken And he was uncovered within his tent. Verse 22 says, And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and they laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward covering the nakedness of their father and their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness now this is a very sobering very in your face passage of scripture rather shocking to be honest with you when we consider the characters in play these are not nameless and faceless individuals that you know just somehow mystical characters of scripture no no No. this is Noah this is the faithful man who spent decades in obedience to God with just one word of command and he just kept building and he just kept building and he just kept building this is a central figure of scripture I realize that jumping from Galatians to 6 to Genesis 9 could seem somewhat confusing, but I really did feel directed here today. There's a lot of things that are left unanswered about this passage of Scripture, but I'm just going to summarize it the best I can. We could ask ourselves, I think, legitimate questions. We could ask ourselves first, did... Did Ham go into his father's tent without permission? Did he just barge in to a tent and a situation that was none of his affairs? We could ask ourselves, did he stand on the outside of the tent? Did he keep calling his father by name and he didn't receive an answer? We could perceive, we could ask ourselves, is, is, is it or was it the silence of his father that never responded did, did, did somehow he think he's sick or maybe he thought he was dead was it a crisis that he just thought I need to barge in here I mean can't you see that as a son or a relative if you're standing without and you know someone's in and you're calling their name and they're not answering you I think these are legitimate questions but they're questions that the text doesn't answer But there is one thing for sure that the text leaves no question about and that is the fact that this young man disrespected his father. How he responded to even the sin and the embarrassment of his own father was a real indicator of his own character. Because the Bible says you know, there's, there, we, know what, we, we know what he could have done. He could have just kind of peered inside, assessed the situation. He could have, this could have been a, a moment never recorded. He could have taken care of this himself. He could have sized up the situation, covered up his father, never said a thing about it, taken all of that to his grave because charity covereth a multitude of sins. But instead, it just seems like that he enjoyed this moment of failure. And he went outside and he found his brothers and he said, you got to come see this. You, you, you are not going to believe this. Come with me. Come with me. You need to go. You need to see why. What would compel you to say, you need to see this. What would compel us to say, you need to hear this. I need to share this with you. The most embarrassing moment of this man's life. Amen. This is a question we can't answer why. But here's what we know. He certainly revealed the weakness of his character. But now let's match that against the response of his brothers his brothers hear the story you're not going to believe this our father has gotten drunk on the very grapes that he planted in the vineyard and he's passed out and he's naked in the tent they understand, they have to know what's going on for them to be able to respond the way they responded he's already told the story They already know what's going on. They're grown men. They get it. They understand. But they said, here's how we're going to handle this. Somehow, we've got to have some charity. Somehow, we've got to have some love. Somehow, we've got to cover this. Amen. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to put a blanket across our shoulders. And we're going to back into this tent. Now, the scripture is real clear. And they faced away. They did not behold, they did not look. But they were completely aware. They were not ignorant. They didn't know what was going on behind them. But they said, it's not for our eyes to see. This is not our story to tell. And so we are going to do everything within our power. I don't know why my father did this. I don't know why he's in this condition. He doesn't even know that we're here. But we're going to back into this tent. And we're going to take love. We're going to take charity. And we're going to cover this up. And we're going to make room. Here is a man who has has given his all. Here is a man who has brought us to where we are. We have life because of him. We have life because of his faithfulness and his loyalty. Amen. Solomon said that a prudent man is going to cover shame. He said a man that covers transgression is a man that seeks to love. I'm going to tell you ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't matter what somebody reads online or what somebody tells us on the phone. We may be completely aware of what's going on, but I believe we need to grab us some charity and say I'm gonna back up to this situation I'm gonna treat this embarrassing moment like I would want it treated amen my task is to restore I'm gonna restore in the spirit of meekness I'm gonna consider myself because this could be me this could be me this could be me amen let's stand this could be me They didn't back into that tent ignorant. They didn't back into that tent unaware. I'm not being, trying to be crass or crude. They were grown men themselves. They knew what a naked man looked like. But they said, you know what? This is not ours. This is not ours to touch. This is not ours to handle. We're just going to feel our way. We're going to back our way into the situation and we're going to cover this. We're going to cover this. We're going to redeem. We're going to restore. We're going to try to set back in place. We're going to, what I said a moment ago, we're going to leave a path home. A path home. I'll suggest this to you. That the next morning at breakfast, two of those young men could look their father in the eye. Two of those young men had enough respect to say, you know, that could be me. I mean I had access to the grapes too I I was here that could be me I could have had too much it could have been me in that same condition and so I ask you tonight how would you want somebody to handle your most embarrassing moment the 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 most vulnerable moment for all the years we've been married my wife has always said you should never make fun of somebody asleep she said that's their most vulnerable moment shouldn't make fun of how they sound or how they look how do you want somebody to treat you in your most vulnerable moment you want the paparazzi to show up cameras and microphones in your face or you want somebody to come back and in Back and in I believe I know the answer I believe I know the answer I believe we want somebody to pick up that garment of charity And say Lord let me help me to reset this broken bone Oh, oh God help me to reset this brokenness in the body We don't want you to be amputated We don't want you to be cast away We don't want you to be downtrodden you know what the apostle Paul uh, uses a very curious phrase in some of his writing. Forgive me for not knowing the scripture right offhand, but he talks about overmuch sorrow in one word. Overmuch sorrow. There is a point in people's life where you can just keep piling on and keep piling on and keep piling on, and Paul says it is, it, there is a moment of overmuch sorrow where it's a breaking point. You will crush them. With their own failure, you will crush them. And so when somebody's failed, the last thing they need is you to come to church or to to work or somebody to come and hold up a sign displaying their failure. They already know. If you keep on, with over, you'll bring them to the point of overmuch sorrow. I don't think God's going to treat that kindly. I don't think God's going to treat that kindly. I think the Lord said, ye which are spiritual special forces. We need some special forces. Amen. I wonder if around this auditorium tonight we can lift our hands and our voices and say, Lord, help me to be a part of the spiritual special forces. God, help me to be a part of that spiritual special force. That says, Lord, I'm going I'm to pick up a blanket of charity. I'm going to p- pick up a cloak of love and compassion and, understand us and understanding. And I'm going to back in, God. I'm going to keep my eyes away from. I don't need to see this. I just need to fix this. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.